Hello, everyone. Welcome to the B2B Marketing Podcast. My name is David Rowlands. I'm the head of content at B2B Marketing, and I'm joined today by one of our Ignite London speakers, the global CMO at PwC, Antonia Wade. So, Antonia, thank you for joining me. How are you today? Well, thank you very much for having me on, David. Um, I'm great. The sun's out. Um, it's the middle of the week. Um, so, yeah, all good. Thank you. Fantastic. Well, um, before we get into the sort of big questions, can you just tell us a bit about your background in B2B marketing and how you actually got to be the global CMO at PwC in the first place? Yeah, of course. Um, I've been, I see to say to people that I've been in B2B marketing for over a decade, but it's probably closer to two, to be honest. Um, I, I really began my marketing career in B2B at Accenture um, and I spent 10 years there and it's a phenomenal place to learn your craft as a B2B marketer because they're very good at it. Um, and they uh, you know, they really get behind things like account-based marketing, understand the value of investment in brands. So I had a, a really phenomenal experience there. I started off in the UK team, um, and then I moved uh, to be marketing some of the biggest um, systems integration, outsourcing deals uh, that Accenture sold at the time. Um, so, yeah, that role was really all about uh, building brand, building market share, supporting uh, the large accounts and pursuits. Um, so fantastic time there. But I decided that um, I'd quite like to go and do something very different, um, but still stay within B2B. So I went to Thomson Reuters, which is more of a product marketing environment, um, albeit that they sold services as well. Um, and that was a big transformation job because when I got there, they really they really did just events. Um, you know, it was a kind of very uh, traditional, dare I say, old-fashioned way of thinking about B2B marketing, kind of uh, golf bags and uh, golf days and goodie bags. But um, yeah, so that was a big transformation effort. Uh, we completely redid the website. We rethought all of our content and campaign strategy. Um, we incorporated um, our, all of the CRM activities and we got to a point there where we really knew exactly for every dollar that what we that we put in, you know, what we were going to get back out of it, which was a really incredible experience. I then took that experience, went back into professional services to a company called uh, Capita, where I led a big uh, brand project um, and actually as a client of PwC's at the time, although that's coincidental. Um, and then uh, that led me to this role. Um, and in this role, um, I look after our global brand strategy, messaging, naming, governance, um, our big campaigns around things like climate and sustainability, our major thought leadership, things like the CEO survey. Um, I run the business client-facing um, business requirements into our technology stack, so pwc.com and all of the associated tech that sits around that. Um, and then we have a team that looks at supporting our biggest global accounts um, and sharing best practice across the network. So a very varied role, very interesting role. Um, I get to meet lots of marketers internally um, and lots of incredible clients who are trying to do very difficult things. Fantastic. And plenty of us to uh, plenty of information, sorry, for us to sort of dive into later. Um, the first thing I want to really understand, though, is you know, as a global CMO, you are obviously, you obviously have that seat at the top table, but a lot of marketers we speak to, you know, don't necessarily have that seat at the very top level. So in your experience, what does the CEO and board actually want to see from the top marketers? Well, I think there's a few things. First of all, um, I believe that marketing should make money, not cost money. Um, so you have to have a really strong commercial appreciation of the value of the work that you're doing. Um, and really, that's what the CEO and board want to know. How how well uh, in, how well are their investments in marketing doing? How should they think about the value of return? 
Um, we might want to come back to that because a sort of short and long-term view of that. Um, how should they be thinking about uh, investing in engaging with buyers uh, across the continuum of the decision-making uh, that they're doing? So the first thing is to really understand uh, what the value that you bring at the commerciality um, and to underpin that, you have to really, really understand how your business makes money. So uh, that that I would definitely say. The second thing is that is I think that marketers bring a really interesting and unique perspective to all sorts of business issues well outside marketing. Um, and I've been lucky to work in boards that have really appreciated that kind of blend of creativity and pragmatism that we bring to a, a business challenge and a, a slightly different and perhaps uh, diverse opinion on some of the things that they're struggling with um, and of course you know if you are if you're doing a really great job of marketing then you really are at the coalface of what your clients are thinking feeling and doing and you can bring some pretty unique insights back to the board so if you get a seat at the table you need to use it and use your voice um, but I would encourage anyone who's on that journey to really think about how are they qualifying the value of the work that they're doing from a commercial perspective what unique perspectives can they bring to the business challenges that the board are tackling and how can they bring kind of client and buyer insights into the discussions yeah absolutely and you know you mentioned there that you know the just the importance of actually proving that the money you're bringing into the business it's not about being a cost it's about being a revenue generator so my question, though, is how feasible is that across all areas of marketing? Because there's some areas where you can really prove that you've you've made money quite directly, perhaps in something like deal-based marketing. But when it comes to, say, brand, that's notoriously difficult to actually prove how successful that's been. So do you find you are able to track actual revenue related to brand? Or do you find you have to almost change the conversation with the board when you're trying to prove that the value of it? I think it's I think it can be helpful to think about quantitative and qualitative measures um, and also to really understand if you're thinking about brands specifically, what's the value of brand across the whole buying cycle? So in professional services, for example, we find that the power of having a strong and well-respected brand uh, is as important when they're making a decision between two or three vendors as it is way up uh, into the kind of sort of buying uh, choice cycle, if you will. Um, and so that's where, you know, understanding, you know, getting an analyst perspective on the importance of brand, getting qualitative information from your sales and your clients about why they went with you rather than another competitor. And quite often you find that brand, brand stature, trust in the brand um, comes alongside how the good quality of the people, for example. So I think when you're trying to do it in a okay, I put a dollar in and within a quarter, I made $5 back. That's, re that's really hard to do from a brand perspective. But brands working pretty hard for you across a number of other measures. So um, I don't think you should duck the subject. I think you need to be able to talk about the value of brand. But actually, you will have a number of brand advocates within your client base and probably employee base as well, who really well understand and make, are making decisions based on the strength and stature of your brand. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, when I'm speaking to marketers, one of the common challenges that comes up is just the difficulty in actually getting your brand name out there in the first place and making sure people know who you are. Um, in PwC's case, of course, that's obviously not an issue unless anyone's been living under a rock. Um, so when it comes to marketing PwC, how do you actually set your goals in the first place, split up your budget and really start delivering value for the organization? So PwC is a very interesting company to work for because we sell a lot of things. 
Um, but we're pretty well known for part of our portfolio and perhaps not as well known as for some of the other things that we do. So for example, I mean, we have a multi-billion dollar technology business. We signed massive deals with Microsoft recently uh, around AI. I think we were one of the first professional services to do it. We launched uh, a new piece of land in Decentraland. So we do all of these very interesting, innovative, high-tech things. Um, but perhaps uh, people have a more immediate recall for us in uh, some of our other very strong areas around things like tax and audit. Um, so actually, we do spend uh, time and energy thinking about how do we reintroduce our brand to buyers. Um, and there, you know, I think the interesting thing about B2B uh, is that it's a game, it's a precision game, it's not a volume game. And you talked before about metrics. And I think one of the things that's very challenging for us in B2B marketing is that all of the way of thinking about metrics, capturing them through the systems that we have, um, are all quite B2C biased, i.e. they're based on volume rather than precision. And I sometimes say to my team, you know, if 20 CEOs in the world see this out of the top 500 CEOs in the world, I think we've done an amazing job, right? It's not it's not about volume. Like actually, and sometimes uh, volume means that you're probably, you, you might be wasting money. So, so when we think about how we allocate budgets, uh, we absolutely allocate budgets to brand. Um, it's also um, very important in professional services to market your thought leadership because people, when they're trying to do complicated things in an ambiguous environment, they want to buy from experts. Um, and your expertise is shown through both your thought leadership and case studies. And in fact, a recent data point I saw said that in professional services, 33% you know, of people engage with suppliers on the strength of their thought leadership. So we're also marketing our thought leadership a lot as well. Um, I would say so in some cases, almost more than the individual services, because there's a kind of a unique combination of services that we might bring to, for example, um, a company trying to decide whether they should build, um, you know, their engines uh, based on uh, hydrogen or carbon being the fuel of the future, right? I mean, that's quite a complicated challenge and we would bring a lot of different perspectives to that. So we put a lot of money into marketing our thought leadership, um, we also put a lot of money into enabling our humans. Uh, it's a relationship-based business. So thinking about account-based marketing, engaging our internal audiences with our great content, delivering it to them at the right time. So we're sort of thinking about uh, those are the kind of big major investments. And then, of course, how do we show up uh, in the world at things like Davos and major events? Um, but all of our investments are made really being quite thoughtful about who are we trying to get in front of. Um, and as I said, for, for a number of our bigger uh, services, the reality is there's not that many people in the world who would have that complexity of problem. And there are not many people in the world who could actually buy that quality and level of services from us. Um, so I yeah, just to go back to the point for us, it's, a, it's about precision rather than volume. Yeah, I can totally understand that. And does that mean more often than not that you're taking an ABM approach in these cases, or is it is it more complicated than that? Um, in my in it sort of depends where we are, but in my team at a global level, uh, it's it's likely that we're taking either a formal ABM approach or an informal ABM approach. And by informal ABM approach, what I mean is that um, you know, we're quite specific about who we might serve paid advertising to, for example. Now, you don't have to be on a formal ABM program for that, but we are pretty targeted about 
who we put ads in front of. So there's a sort of formal ABM route and an informal ABM route, if you will. Um, we also spend quite a lot of time thinking about our internal um, people as our clients as well to make sure that they are well enabled and they have the content that they need. Okay, interesting. So you say um, it's important to enable your, you know, your internal marketing staff, and I can see the the point in that. I imagine that includes sales um, colleagues as well. Yes, absolutely. And account, and account leads, you know, a lot of, for example, you might have a, a, an account team of 50, 100, 200 people working into a single big company. So making sure that they have the right information. Yeah. Yeah. So does that mean that you're actually what you're doing is you're running a sales enablement program? Or is it more informal than that? I think we run a we run both marketing and sales enablement. So we are executing paid media. We are at some of the biggest events in the world. We are marketing our content and thought leadership directly into the market. And we have a sales enablement um, uh, exercise. Um, and sales enablement makes it sound kind of like quite directed. I mean, for us, it's all about having engaging and interesting conversations with our clients. Um, but yes, absolutely. We spend our time doing both because um, clients, we kind of want to surround our clients through the marketing channels and through the human channels that we have. Yeah, of course. Um, you know, when you're at PwC, there's obviously a huge number of benefits to working at such a big organization. The size, the reputation uh, is absolutely world-class, of course, the capabilities, the budget, you've got all these things in your favor, but there's obviously going to be challenges um, from a marketing point of view. So for you personally, what are those challenges and how do you actually intend to overcome those? Yeah, so I think that like many organisations, um, we have um, some people who are really passionate advocates of marketing and some people who are perhaps less uh kind of less in tune with the value that marketing can bring. So I, I, that has been the same in most organizations that I've worked in. We're also a very big company, as you say, with lots of different clients with different needs. So internal and external distribution can sometimes be a, a bit of a challenge. Um, and so we try and use technologies like uh, Marketing Cloud, for example, to push our stuff internally as well in a, in a relevant way. Um, it can be hard to get global aligned consistency around topics and sometimes that's important and sometimes it isn't so it's also about knowing when do you want to be hyper local and extremely relevant to a client in Ghana versus when do you want to push for kind of consistency of brand and messaging so those are those are some of the things that we think about the other thing that I would say is we've got an amazing marketing community in PwC, but you know, I actually just launched something called the Marketing Academy to make sure that we all stay um, up to date with the latest skills. Again, I think that that's the same in many companies, whether you're big or small. You know, B2B marketing is moving so fast. The technologies are so interesting. Um, you know, the expectations of our clients are changing hugely. So keeping on top of all the skills that you need to be a great marketer today is something that I both feel passionately about, but is an ongoing challenge, I think, for most marketing leaders. Yeah, I think that's probably heartening for a lot of people to hear that, you know, PwC also have those problems and it's not just a, a challenge in um, sort of less mature organizations. And you know, speaking of uh, B2B marketing communities, we at B2B marketing, the, the company, not the industry, that is, we have our, our own community, Propolis, uh, which is a community intelligence platform. Um, and we'll leave a link in the description if you're interested in finding out more how you can how you can join that. Um, but Antonia, you are, of course, speaking at our upcoming conference, Ignite London, on the 29th of June, which is my birthday, if anyone was interested. 
Um, I'll make second... sure I say happy birthday. It's the very first thing I say, David. <laughs> Thank you very much. I was hoping to sort of get the whole crowd singing in, uh, in unison. Um, but you are you're speaking on a session titled "Reimagining the Relationship Between Marketing and Our Buyers." So, just referencing the synopsis, I know that you'll be drawing on your book, "Transforming the B two B Buyer Journey." and challenging the traditional marketing funnel. So just for context, why do you think the traditional funnel is no longer relevant or needs challenging at least? So the traditional funnel is based on a kind of assumption, which I think is a bit fundamentally flawed, which is you have a single buyer or a single group of buyers who are going through a logical series of decisions um, and that you as an organization, your job is to pull them through that decision-making process as fast as possible in order to achieve a sale. I don't think that that's how people buy. Uh, certainly, it's certainly not how people buy uh, complicated um, services. Um, what we see instead, what I've always seen in my career is you have people moving through a series of decisions in a fairly non-linear way, actually. Um, the target market group within each of those decision the parts of the decision-making actually changes quite a lot, uh, both in terms of size, but also in terms of who's in it. Um, and I think that that assumption, therefore, of this sort of rational decision process with a singular set of people, it, it doesn't help you because it means you're probably missing out on opportunities to meet the buyer's informational needs where they are at the stage that they're in. Uh, most of us don't really like being hurried through a process, right? And there's often good reasons why you wouldn't want to do that. And if you want to present yourself as a company that um, is buyer-centric or buyer, you know, supports a buyer's decision, sort of pushing them through to a sales target probably isn't going to help you um, in terms of how you show up in that um, in that series of engagements with them. I also think that if you think about it as a funnel you get into quite a knotty place in terms of trying to measure attribution that we've talked about before, but also what's the sales and marketing role. Whereas if you think about it as a kind of set decisions that a buyer is making, and some of those things take a long time, some of those decisions take a short amount of time, and you're competing for share of attention in a different way in each part of that decision making, um, then it becomes a bit more of a shared endeavor between marketing and sales across the whole framework, as opposed to you know the sort of crunch point of a handoff, um, which I observe in many organizations can be very challenging for both sales and marketing, probably quite unhelpful. Yeah, I mean, the, the issue of sales marketing alignment is sadly probably not going anywhere anytime soon. Um, but it does feel like the, that handover point at which you sort of hand the, the baton over, if you like, is becoming increasingly blurred. Do you think we're heading to a point where there isn't even a marketing department and a sales department? It just becomes the sales and marketing department almost, or is that a massive stretch? Well, certainly um, there's research that says that successful companies of the future will think about it like that. I actually, I start the book with um, that pro relatively provocative view that the funnel's dead, but I actually end with a kind of similarly provocative view that Perhaps the best companies of the future will be those where marketing sets the expectation of the client experience and everybody else in the organization delivers it. Um, and it was interesting because that actually came about talking to a very senior sales leader who I know. And, and he was very convinced that that's the way that the world's going to go. And all of the data that you might look at in terms of how far do people go down the decision making process? 
how much people expect the experience to start well before they speak to a human representative of your company seems to suggest that marketing's role in setting that client experience and servicing it is going to become more and more important. So whether it becomes one department or stays two, I think the best and highest performing, most buyer-centric uh, companies of the future um, will really understand and appreciate marketing's role in setting the expectation of their clients. Yeah, absolutely. So bringing it back to your session, um, I know I don't want to ask you to give it all away, obviously, because otherwise, why would anyone want to attend the event? Um, but just to give one hint ahead of the session, what do you think marketers should do or should at least be thinking about um, in light of your your challenge of the, the traditional funnel? Well, I, I wrote the book uh, to try and be helpful. So I'm hoping that uh, people who come to the session will find it helpful. Um, you know, we've all sat through sessions um, where you sort of go away from it going, okay, it's sort of interesting, but I'm not really sure how I apply that to my uh, daily job. Um, and so, you know, the intention, as I said, of the book and the session is that, you know, mo most people, irrespective of the type of company they work for, will come away with something that makes them think differently, have a different conversation, perhaps with their uh, organization, um, or get curious and want to learn about something new. So, um, I'll go through um, the phases of the buyer journey that I outline in the book. Um, and in the book, I talk about how do you make choices about um, content channels, but also how do you measure um, success at each part of the framework? And then how do you design journeys end to end throughout the framework and think about the role of brand in it um, and the relationship with sales as well as how you make investments in technology? So it sounds like a lot. I probably will cover quite a lot. Um, but the intention is that I, I really hope that people come away from it, finding something helpful out of it. Yeah, absolutely. And that's one thing um, I should stress to the audience. Um, Ignite London is designed to help you come away with actions. So day one on the uh, 29th is going to have uh, five different content tracks plus a keynote stage, all of which are aimed at helping you to optimize your resources, get the very best out of your budget and get back to the office inspired and ready to go. Um, and day two, meanwhile, is your chance to develop and action those ideas you came away with on day one through a number of workshops, roundtables, and head-to-head. -head. So yeah, you come in Thursday, you come in Friday, you have two days off for the weekend, and then you come in Monday uh, ready to go. and ready Different to person. <laughs> exactly. It's a transformational <laughs> event. <laughs> so uh, don't miss out. Um, so Antonio, my final question for you, and then we'll start to wrap up. Working at PwC, I, you know, I don't doubt that you work with some of the absolute finest minds in the industry, whether they're in marketing or, or outside of marketing. So what lessons do you have for any marketing leaders listening that want to build a world-class marketing function? Well, um, we touched on a few of them already. Um, really understand the commercial value that you're bringing. Get curious about what's happening in the world of marketing. Um, that's why events like Ignite are excellent because uh, you need to be open-minded and learn new things. I would really encourage people to challenge the status quo. We've all been in situations where, you know, sort of the yearly plan and budget is almost done before you've even started planning because we have to be at this event and we have to do this piece of thought leadership. So, you know, get resilient and start to challenge the status quo on some of those things. Um, be very, very uh, buyer-oriented in terms of how you think about the value and return as opposed to trying to please people internally. Um, and uh, make sure that you really understand who you're trying to get your campaigns in front of. And I know that some people might sort of roll their eyes and say, oh, you know, that's so obvious. 
but uh, as I say in the book, you know, I've worked in a number of organizations and spoke to colleagues of mine where, I, you know, it's like, oh, we need to do this and it's for everyone in the C-suite or it's for everyone in an HR role. And it's like, it probably isn't, is it? Like, who's actually going to buy this? And so the more refined and precise you can be about who your marketing's for um, and working with sales to really get quite forensic about what does a great lead look like? What do they need to feel like, be like? What kind of buying power do they need to have? Um, and I think bringing that level of precision to your marketing will make you more effective in terms of driving return. Wise words indeed. So thank you very much, Antonia. And we'll leave a link to uh, Ignite London and your book in the description as well. So uh, thank you. if anyone, oh, no worries. Um, if anyone wants to uh, check either of those out, feel free. Antonia, thank you very much. And, thank uh, you very uh, much. We'll, uh, and look, we'll see you at Ignite. Yes, I was going to say, I, uh, I look forward to seeing, or hopefully seeing lots of people who've been listening to this podcast um, and to wishing you a happy birthday in person, David. <laughs> oh, thank you very much. And um, yeah, lovely. Well, we'll see you again soon. Thank you very much.